What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jake Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. And before we get into today's podcast with Tony Greco, there's a couple of things that we need to go over first. Number one, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews you get, the more it helps the people find the show. And it really helps to grow the community that we're developing and if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for future episodes. I put out brand new interviews every single Monday and brand new takeaways episodes is an audio exclusive where I sit down and break down the most recent podcast episode every single Thursday. And last but not least, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to share it to your Instagram story. Tag myself at the Jacob Kelly, tag Tony at, at Tony Greco TG. And I'll feature you on my account and send you a message as well. Now, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Tony Greco. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I am your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. And today on the podcast, we are joined by celebrity fitness trainer and entrepreneur, Tony Greco. Tony founded Greco Fitness back in the late 1990s, and it has gone on to become one of the most popular studios in Ottawa with plans of national and international expansion. Tony also trains the likes of NHL stars Claude Giroux and Mike Fisher and celebrities like Kara Alt and Carrie Underwood. And I'm very excited to have him here on the podcast today. Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I hear great things about this amazing podcast, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Where I want to start today, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. From my understanding, you were born in Italy and came over to Canada in the mid-70s, right? Yeah, I was actually here, uh, came in 1974. Um, poor family. I mean, uh, we were, my mom and dad were farmers uh, back in like southern Italy. And then uh, we came to Ottawa because my mother's brother was here. And at the time, I guess Ottawa was starting to develop. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's your typical uh, kind of like uh, rags to riches, I guess, a story where, you know, we had $500 in a suitcase. Um, my dad got a job in construction, which was the easiest thing to do. Um, my mom worked at the restaurant and, um, and then, you know, got us through school and just started to kind of, uh, you know, set the journey from there. Mm-hmm. And how, how does that impact you growing up, being an immigrant, coming to Canada with only, like you said, $500 and a suitcase? From my understanding, you didn't even speak the language when you first arrived either. So how does all of that impact you growing up? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, think, I think it either makes you or breaks you, um, you know, and uh, I think everything's about attitude. I mean, I still don't know how to speak the language. I'm just joking. <laughs> but uh, it, it, you know what? It, it really puts you up against the wall. And I, and I truly mean that because I remember my first day in school. Like I didn't understand English and I didn't speak English. So I'm like, how the heck do you communicate? So um, you just learn either to uh, get through it or, or to basically give up. And I think that attitude carries out in a lot of entrepreneurs, because as you know, through business, as people expand their horizons, they go through obstacles that hinder their positive growth. And it's easy to basically deflect and, and give up. But if you just go through it, and carry on your discipline then, you know, and believe in what it is that you're trying to do and accomplish, then there's no stopping you because there's, you know, there really is no stopping until you quit. Mm-hmm. And your first passion, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was football, right? You were running back at Glebe Collegiate? Yeah. So I remember coming from Italy and uh, I met a good a friend of mine who was actually my best man at the wedding. 
Um, and he said, look, we're going to go and play football. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And then I remember the first practice, like, yeah, I just got to take the ball and run. So, you know, I was seven years old and, uh, I started running with the ball at some pretty good speed and actually learned to, to, to work and love the game. And then I played it all through pretty much, uh, peewee, uh, and the mosquito back then was the division I used to play for a team called Rochester lions. Then I went to Pee Wee. Then we, then, and after that, I loved it so much that I even went to like Sooners camp. And then I wanted to get to Carlton, Ottawa, you and want to go to their camps, but I went through high school, like we collegiate, uh, played my first year as a cornerback, uh, which was the outside position. Cause everybody was pretty big. I wasn't a big guy. And then, uh, the second year I, I switched cornerback and running back and I continued to actually play through high school and I had great years. And, um, I had the uh, West East West East senior bowl. And that was the big one. It was like all the all-stars would kind of play. Remember Lansdowne park and, um, uh, you know, just such a great experience. And, and I think that's what started most of the stuff off for me. And then I actually transitioned into martial arts and, and then evolved from there. So my, I, I, I think the journey, if I have to credit a lot is obviously the martial arts for the discipline and then the football for the drive as well. Yeah. And I actually want to talk about martial arts and that discipline because from my understanding, you took it pretty seriously. And I have some things for Danny. You said it helped you create balance, discipline, and strengthen your mind. And I'm curious if you could explain how martial arts did that for you. Well, I, I mean, I originally took martial arts to actually beat up people. Um, and cause you know, you, you hold this anger of just, you know, trying to just fuss, get your whole frustrations out. So I actually, I remember I used to movies and then I used to go and make the nunchucks uh in my dad's garage garage and then I'd actually carry them until they became illegal <laughs> to, to try to beat up people and I think part of that was that you know it was about the survival of you know being in a, a new city not speaking the language not sure I mean back then there was a lot of bullying what we call bullying now but back then it didn't exist so you almost have to kind of always be aware of who people are and what they're doing um so again it was a great way to defend yourself so i i just took it like i said to beat up people but that's why i needed it because it actually do a lot of discipline not to beat up people um so i truly believe that everybody should go through some kind of uh, discipline and martial arts was great and now i know that the way that the teaching philosophies now have changed because you can't be as strict to someone uh, for several reasons but um you know i remember going through uh, katas, which are forms of patterns. And, and I'm like, what does this got to do with like, you know, martial arts? But when you put it into perspective, you know, when you're turning a direction and you're going forward, like for instance, working different fundamentals, like blocking, striking and punching, it's amazing how your brain has to think. So strengthening the mind on sparking these new, you know, uh, brain cells in your brain to be more aware, more alert, uh, martial arts teaches you that so when you carry it out in your everyday world you can walk into a room and you're like you're all like you're almost aware of like okay i know there's like you know a black counter there and there's like a tv on the wall and there's so and so so it, it's amazing how it how it gives you that vision um the strength because you're you're going through you're persevering through belts they use belt rankings to give you a reward because everybody wants to be rewarded for their hard work so when you put in the time uh, you know, you, you advance in different belt levels. And, and I remember I stopped asking when my next belt was because I came down to the conclusion that it's hard work, hard work, hard work, hard work. 
and then eventually it'll pay off. So I remember that, um, you know, what I did to go through my black belt uh, was pretty remarkable. And, and I think everybody that's listening right now that has gone through the, some of the martial arts rankings knows that there's a, a huge level of discipline. And it's tough to teach that. People are like, what do you mean? Like, uh, you know, how do you do that? Like, it, you have to go through it to accept it and really see it. Because, you know, even on this podcast, like we could be telling people about it. People are like, oh, it sounds cool. It sounds awesome. But until you really truly feel what you go through and how you go through these obstacles, you know, for instance, you know, I remember my uh, white to yellow belt testing, which is the first belt ranking. Well, all I did is sit in like an uh, kibadachi stance, which is a horse stance because kiba means uh, horse in Japanese. And you're sitting like where your knees are nine degrees. It's like a low squat. And I remember sitting there for like two minutes and my two senseis, my instructors left. And I'm like, okay, what, like, when are we, what are we going to do for, you know, our belt? And the whole time was to be able to sit in that stance, you know, believing that your mind can accomplish this. And, and that's the kind of language. So martial arts is like a language. It teaches you how to really persevere and uh, go through obstacles that really hinder your positive growth. And so you said to get all the way to that black belt, it was a lot of just consistent hard work. And eventually from through martial arts, you got into kickboxing. From my understanding, it was two and a half years straight of training every single day towards becoming a kickboxer. And eventually you went on to win a gold medal. But leading up to that gold medal, there's a lot of trials and tribulations. I know your first fight was about 30 seconds long, and then you're doing fights about every single month. Can you kind of talk to me about that time before that tournament to go for the gold medal where you're just... I'm literally fighting every single month just to keep going. And sometimes you're winning, sometimes losing. How do you keep pushing in that time? Oh man. It's, it's you know, these, it's great. You did a lot of research on this, uh, Jacob. I admire you, man. Uh, so yeah, you're taking me way back here. Well, I, I remember I went exactly my first fight uh, of competing. I lasted 30 seconds and I remember I got a bleeding nose. I was a white belt. I'm like, what the heck? Cause I mean, you either have the competitive, edge in you or you don't and it, it doesn't matter whether you have it or not because people obviously go to get into different things for different reasons i got into martial arts yes i wanted to you know achieve a goal but then i also wanted to fight because that's what i originally got in there for and i remember the first fight was 30 seconds and then i was even debating whether or not to give up and i kept going then i remember um competing at a local circuit and i never really won a lot of tournaments until I started be, uh, fighting kind of like the adult division. Uh, and I remember I used to have a lot of uh, friends of mine that used to compete, used to do really well. I was lucky enough. I got a sponsor to uh, sponsor me and do a tournament every month in North America. So NASCA, which is national association of sports karate association. It was like one of the biggest tournaments and every year. Uh, so every month you had a tournament, you had to go in and attend and you get ratings. So I started to win at those tournaments. I traveled to Minnesota. I traveled to Atlanta, Florida. They were all pretty much across North America. Was seated fourth. And, and that progress of winnings um, gave me enough confidence that then what happened was I started to train harder and harder and harder for the world championships. But I had to believe that in me. And, and again, it took me losing and persevering uh, to get to that next level of acknowledging that you have and you can have what it takes if you work hard at it. So I trained two and a half years, two, two and a half hours every single day, except for Saturday, Sunday. And, um, you know, I can honestly say that those training sessions were very brutal, uh, puked a few times, 
and um, just over exerted what I, I think I, I could potentially do. But that was the feeling I had to get to, to feel that I had what it takes to get through. In that tournament where you won the gold medal, the IAXA World Kickboxing Championship in 1995, how many fighters do you have to go through? Like, how many fights do you have? What's that tournament like? Yeah, so you have to keep winning. So what it was, was it was a two-day event. Um, is about 17 to 21 fighters in that division. So your first day, you would have three fights. If you lose the first fight, you're completely out of the tournament. So it's kind of like tennis. Uh, you got to keep winning. And then what happens is usually it took five fights to get to the, to the gold medal in that division. So you have to beat out five opponents, but to get there, there's about 21 opponents in the division. And, and that's why it, it's such a tough thing to do because again, you can't lose. And, and it's, it's the obstacles and the experience and the challenges that come towards you on a regular basis that teach you to make those decisions that, you know, again, you only, you only lose when you quit. Because I thought about actually quitting. I remember um, I, got a, I took a shot in the jaw in one of the tournaments and uh, it was like, you know, just quit, quit, quit. Like there's no money in it. But I got back up and started to, to basically do it because, uh, you know, I just, I love the sport and I just wanted to accomplish something. And I mean, it, it was great for me because it gave me the attitude that like, you can conquer whatever you put your mind to it. So now it's like you, you become fearless of a lot of the obstacles that come across your way. And, and that's why it's good because most people, if they've experienced a thought and they've gone through it, then if that experience and emotion comes back again, they just know how to deflect and go through it anyways. And so in that gold medal fight, I believe it was the 18th minute of that fight, you took a kick to the face and that was a scary moment in that fight. You talk about how you have to keep persevering. You have to keep getting up. The old Mike, Mike Tyson quote is everyone has a plan to get punched in the face. What a kick in the face. What happens to you in that moment where you take that shot? There's about five minutes to go in the fights, the gold medal. What's going through your mind at that point? After that round, when you go back to the corner, like what's going through your mind? Oh, well, it's, 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 it's amazing you asked that question because I was actually going through that uh, visual in my mind about three weeks ago. And it's crazy how your mind remembers certain things um, that you experience and that emotion it creates at that specific moment that you use in other examples. So I'll tell you exactly because it was fresh in my mind. I remember I got kicked right in the face and um, my coach at the corner, I went to the corner and I said, I'm not losing this fight. Like I've trained way too hard. Like I truly believe that I put in way, way more work. And I knew it. Like I just felt it. You know, you felt that emotion. And, and, and I bet if I asked that opponent to this day, he would agree to it because he was from Austria. And, uh, you know, um, I said, I'm not going to lose this fight. So it was almost like a wake-up call. It was like the adrenaline that went with my thought pattern was like, it was just like unbelievable on how crazy like that feeling was that I was grasping. It's like, boom, it was like this whole burst of energy was like, okay, I'm going to win this fight. And sure enough, it was like, and then the fight ended up, I remember I was behind two points and I started to get more and more points. And then that was it. It was over. And so how do you feel then when your hand gets raised at the end of that fight? Well, it just, it just feels that, you know, like all that, everything, like the, the guts, the blood, the sweat, the, you know, the, you can't, you'll never do it. All that stuff just washes away. It's almost like a self-fulfillment, you know, feeling that you just, you just feel 
it's like an input in your brain that it's like anything you put your mind to that you want to accomplish and work severely hard to that point where you're almost like call it knocked out and get back up will work. And that's why, you know, all these great leaders and fighters, I know there's so many different examples you use the Mike Tyson one. And it's so true because it is, I mean, I could have, I could have had a totally different mind shift after getting kicked, seeing the blood going, Oh geez, I'm going to lose this fight. I'm going to lose this fight. But I didn't, I said, this is, you know, this is bullshit. Like this guy's not going to win this fight. I worked way, way harder. I know I did. And here comes, I'm, I'm going to win this fight. And it just like, boom, the adrenaline just, the pain was gone. I didn't even see the blood anymore. I just saw, you know, my hand being raised up and me wrapping in a, being wrapped in a Canada flag. And that was like one of the greatest things and moments of my life. Mm -hmm. And then do you re essentially retire from competing with boxing at that point? Or do you keep going after that? So what I did after is, um, from there, I was trying to get a movie deal. I remember the time, uh, that time, the cool movies that were out were moral combat, uh, at the time. And some of my friends that were involved in martial arts out of Los Angeles, uh, were in that movie. Um, they got a little bit of money. Not that that was the reason why, but I just, I, I, I had to make a choice and say, okay, you know, I'm at the top of my game here. Um, I opened up, you know, a, a location and started to teach the discipline. I broke away from a franchise cause I had my own philosophies from there. So I really did, you know, in my mind, what, what I think most people would do, and that's share the discipline and the progress with others. And that's kind of what, have I, what I started to do. I started to shift towards fitness because I knew that fitness was not just for the elite, it was for everybody. And I, I just, I love that feeling of feeling good uh, when you're active like that. And I think everybody should, should go through it and feel it. So I decided to just kind of like, you know, retire from that and just teach the discipline to other people. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about those first studios because you had a kickboxing one and a martial arts studio, correct? Yeah. And, and from my understanding, your parents wanted you to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. So how was the conversation with mom and dad? Were you like, I'm not going to go to med school. I'm actually going to open up my own studio. Yeah. Well, because that was the mentality of my parents. They're like, if you're not a doctor or a lawyer, you're going to be a loser because that was the hard way of winning or trying to win. Because like I said, my dad, you know, was, was just a construction worker and my mom i mean she's got the most plain job in a restaurant i think anybody could find a job doing that these days and she just i guess they didn't want us to be that and they didn't understand that you know you get involved into stuff that you do because you love it and i just want to you know throw that out to people is that love what you do and it doesn't become work i truly love that i just made a career and out of it and you know financially it, it worked out for me but I don't regret, you know, doing anything else because I love what I do and I still do it to this day. So that's, that's kind of where I think my parents now see that I'm happy and what I have accomplished, but I still don't think they know what I really do. I got to be honest with you. Uh, so it, again, I think they just look at that we're safe, you know, we brought up a good family. I'm blessed with a, a you know, a great family, a great wife and great people around me. And that's what they feel. And I think in the end, cause they're very simple people. And I, and I know that now, I didn't know that as a kid, but they're very simple people. You know, they still live in the same house that we bought 40 something years ago. Uh, I mean, even if they won a lottery, I could honestly say that their life will change because their whole 
their whole philosophy is bringing the family together, seeing everybody happy, everybody getting fed, and and that's it. And I and I can truly, honestly say that. Like I honestly think nothing would change. And I think because they've instilled that and they see that now out of their kids, that's what really makes them happy. And they feel that they've accomplished their mission. And at the end of the day, you know, even us as parents, we always say we get to a level where it's like, okay, like why why are we doing this? You know, and obviously want to get our kids to follow our footsteps and carry on legacy and and just that's really what it is. And I think that's that that cycle of life, you know, where before everybody thinks that, you know, you gotta be born, you got to go to school, become a doctor, lawyer, you know, get married and just follow a whole criteria that's supposed to go along with that wheel of life. But that's not the case now. And that's why it's hopefully people, you know, can, can adjust and, and, and make their own life of what they truly have and what they truly like to do. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned how it's important to do what you love. And what a lot of people don't realize sometimes is that what you love will change. For you, it's been similar. It's been along the same lines. But first, it was football, if we go all the way back. And then it was martial arts. And that eventually progressed into fitness. And the first original genesis of you really getting into fitness is wanting to become an Olympic trainer, right? Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I, uh, I, I basically, like I said, I wanted to get, I, I couldn't go back to university to get my you know, degree in Human Connect. So what I did is I a lot of research and I said, okay, well, I want to get certified in all these different certifications because I want to, I want to train Olympic athletes. So uh, I did a little bit of research and got a hold of this guy, Ed McNeely, who used to teach at Ottawa U, owns a sports performance institute and his partner, uh, Lloyd Armstrong. And, and, and um, Ed McNeely used to do, I don't know if you remember muscle and fitness magazines, those uh, charts where they had the anatomy charts and all the areas were kind of like, um, you know, colored. So like they would show you exercise and be like, okay, your pecs are working. So that's what he used to do. Really good guy. So I hired him for about uh, almost a year. And I said, look, I was running my martial arts school. I'm like, I don't have time to go back to school, run a, a successful business. So I hired him for eight months. He taught me every day uh, for like six hours. We do a lot of the theory part, uh, notebooks and you know, questions and answers. And then we did a lot of the practical stuff where even when I did my uh, nutrition certification, we actually went to Loblaws and he was showing me how to read labels. Uh, and it was just such a cool experience. So it was great because I felt I had enough confidence to express that knowledge and teach that passion to other people to the point where I said, okay, you know what? Part of this is I want you to take me as your client and show me how you would you know, take me through these phases. And sure enough, you know, at the time we were doing a lot of periodization training where you'd say, okay, look, this is the way you pre-screen a client. This is what you do, you know, at the beginning. Then you get into a more specific phase where we measure strength, increase the power. Then we get into pre-competitive. So it was all like a lot of periodization stuff. Um, the fella, an MD, Tudor Bomba, has got a great book out on periodization training. They follow a lot of that. Um, and I liked it. It was still good. And to this day, people still follow that philosophy. Uh, Ed was a great professor, uh, certified me. And what I admire about them is that you need to get uh, uh, and score at the highest of your level or they won't give you a certificate. And what I mean by that is that, let's say, I remember the exam was like 18 pages. It was like taking a client and trying to fulfill his goal through the different phases, adding the speed levels of, of training techniques. It had to make sense. If it didn't, the way they market uh, is they're like, well, look, you got a, you got this guy here that's trying to lose 10 pounds, but you've got him in this phase. Review that phase, submit it again. 
So they get you to think and understand how these phases work to take a client from point A to Z. And that's what I liked about it. It was a, it was a fantastic uh, course, uh, Sports Performance Institute. And I, I think they went on and sold the business as well, too. But right now, I'm working a lot with uh, a guy by the name of Kyle Dietz, who's out of the University of Minnesota, who's amazing. And uh, Dr. Ben Peterson, who used to be the fitness director of the Philadelphia Flyers. I met him through Claude Giroux, one of my clients, uh, who now is the fitness director out of uh, for San Francisco 49ers. He actually runs the whole division from physiotherapists to chiropractors to trainers. Uh, they wrote a book on triphasic training, which is phenomenal. I think it's one of the best concepts that ever came out to teach fitness, to generate maximum force of power uh, to anybody that wants to get stronger, faster, and really perform uh, at a way better level. By far, one of the best. Mm-hmm. And so you took this transition after your year of learning fitness and to become an Olympic trainer. Eventually, you end up instituting that into your studios. And you opened the first Greco, I believe, 1997, 1998. And so you make the switch from martial arts, kickboxing to these fitness circuits. And I have a bit of a two-pronged question based on that. One, fitness circuits weren't popular back then. This is a really innovative thing to do. You were ahead of your time doing so. So one, why did you do circuits? And two, when you did the circuits, from my understanding, you lost like 250 clients pretty much right away. So how come you keep going with the circuits and you don't revert back to martial arts and kickboxing because that was what was originally working? Yeah. Okay. So I got out of the martial arts because... Um, I was very disappointed because I was coming up from a discipline that worked very hard and hard work pays off. But what happened was martial arts became so commercialized that I wasn't, um, what's the word? I wasn't accepting it properly. Meaning that, you know, a lot of these kids, for instance, are just chasing a belt as opposed to a discipline. So because it's a business, you're stuck. Cause you're like, do I give the person the belt? Do I, you know, cause there's a, there's a belt fee, right? And I just said, look, I don't, this is something that I don't want to do. I was very disappointed. I used to grade kids going to the next belt. And I used to go ask myself, what? That kid didn't really deserve it. Like, this is not right. I, I don't feel good doing this. So, um, so that's one of the major reasons why I got out of the martial arts. Not that the discipline is in great. I think the discipline is great. And all martial arts are fantastic. Um, but I just didn't like the way the grading system was. Uh, as far as the fitness goes, you know, everybody wants to live a healthy life. And the feeling that you get from just going and being fit and doing something active was, uh, I think, the experience that everybody should be feeling. And when I started with circuits, you're totally right. People thought I was crazy. They're like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. What's he doing? They're not even resting. Like, it was, a, it was like, honestly, it was a shit show. I used to hear all the haters uh, from everywhere, from, from like even some of the guys that had very successful business. But I knew that people needed accountability. People needed to be pushed. And we took, I took a book that was like a class pass. And you couldn't get into the class unless you filled out your book because 80% of your success is all about fuel you put in your body, which is your food. So everybody knows that. People know how to eat. How come there's so many obese people out there? Because they don't have the discipline or they don't have the accountability or they don't have guys like me to push them or podcasts like this to listen to, to get the discipline. So what I did is I, I basically constructed a book and they had to fill out what they were eating, when they were eating, what they were eating. And then randomly had people in class go, okay, today, give me your book. Oh, look, you ate, you didn't eat breakfast. That's a meal that you can't skip because you got to break the fast. 
oh, wait a minute, you didn't even need a snack. What the heck's going on? So it, what I did is I started to ingrain the message in their brain that they have to eat, but it's what you eat because eating is not a bad thing to do because the misconception there, especially women, were like, oh, if I eat, I'm going to get fat. No, that's not true. If you eat right, you're going to lose you know, fat and you're going to build more muscle and you're going to be healthier. So the, the hardest part back then was that we have to educate everybody. Where now, I mean, there's so many resources out there. Like people can find out exactly what you need to do when you need to do. So really, all we really do is motivate and educate. I mean, everybody knows what to do. I mean, and uh, so back then it was harder, but it worked because people started to, we transform bodies, we uplift spirits, and we strengthen minds. People are like, do you do fitness? I'm like, I don't do fitness. Like, what do you mean? I don't do fitness because that's what we did because people would come in there first three weeks. They want to lose 10 pounds. Then we would, we would follow up on them and be like, Hey, how do you feel like, Oh my God, I got so much energy. I, I feel great. I'm running up the stairs with my kids. So now it wasn't about the weight loss anymore. It was about how they were feeling. And, and that's why our whole slogan was transforming bodies up by experience, strengthening minds. Now the new slogan is building bodies, strengthening minds because people understand that exercise now is a way of life. It's kind of like the new prescription to a better health, right? I mean, you look at people now, you're like, you're not working out. They're like, no, you almost look at them like, what the heck, right? Almost like same feeling you get, like if you see people smoking a cigarette, it's like, what are you doing? It's almost like a weird thing now, right? So, yeah. And then, so from that point, then when you lose those 250 clients, talk to me about how you've grown Greco into what it is today. What are some things that people don't see? How did you grow? I know initially, I think you went to four locations and then franchising really started and you expanded to about 15 locations across the city, one in Toronto. How did you get to that point? Well, I think it was, uh, again, using uh, the mantra of like, you know, my goal was the best thing I can be. And, you know, I was, I was achieving this whole like trip or journey uh, the best I can be. And, and what I did is that most of the people that bought these franchises were members because they loved the feeling. It was all about the community, the feeling, um, you know, it was like kind of like friends. Everybody knows your name. People would sit at our espresso bar. Like I'm sitting right here uh, talking to you. And it was like, it was cool. So-and-so would come in a professional athlete, a celebrity, like, Hey, how you doing? Like everybody was just, it was a happy, cool place. And it was that experience that sold uh, the franchisees because most of them were members. And then at the same time, it was a really good payday because obviously, you know, it is a business. But I think it was the community first and then the business second. So money was a result of that experience and that community-based uh, buildup. And it was great. And then it got to a point like we, we sold 16 locations, one in Toronto. And at that point, my partner and I, we decided we're like, look, if we're going to continue to do this, we need to go full throttle. So we had a lot of interest of all these different companies that wanted to buy our business. We thought they were just a bunch of tire kickers. Uh, our lawyer called us and said, look, there's a company out of New York that deal with a lot of high-end boutiques um, that, you know, they see you growing, especially when we started in Toronto. I think the first one in Toronto at 12 Blue Jay Way kind of said it all because we're in a city with 5 million people. No one knows what Greco is. We're next to the Rogers Center. Takes a lot of guts and you know what to kind of be right there paying premium rent. But you know what? We believed in the brand. We believed in the franchisees. And sure enough, it was a great success uh, because they were there for quite a bit of time. So what, what happened was 
uh, going back to the, uh, the company out of New York that is dealing with all these big brands, they sent the uh, junior partner to Ottawa, first time in Ottawa, and he toured all the locations with me. We picked them up, first time in Ottawa, loved the atmosphere, loved the coolness of the place, the, the vibe, the music, the people, the coffees, you name it. It was like, it was a place to be. A beautiful day as well that day. I remember it was a sunny day. We took them around different locations. Then we never heard back. Went back to New York, caught the 5.30 flight back to New York. Uh, we never heard for six months. We're like, what the heck happened to that guy? So um, then our lawyer's like, uh, oh, apparently he was let go of the company, but the deal is still on the table. And finally, six months later, the CEO of the company came down, Pete Moore of Integrity Square, which was the, uh, the firm that um, basically raised all the capital. And then uh, he came down. He actually stayed an extra day in Ottawa. So same scenario. We took him for a tour in all locations. Uh, everybody was all like, you know, full of energy. Another great sunny day. Say when the sun shines, the energy's there, right? And sure enough, it was. Um, and then um, what happened was he stayed an extra day and he did some due diligence. He actually sat around a coffee shop, asked people in Ottawa, hey, do you know Tony Greco? How was he as a person? You know, guy. And I admire him for that. And then he left the next day. So um, sure enough, about six months later, now we're going on two and a bit years now we finally get the wheels in motion. So I called it um, anticipation, anxiety, uh, depression, because I didn't know what the heck was going on. And it's like, I mean, I felt like I was on a roller coaster ride, coming down, going up, coming down, going up. It was an insane experience uh, selling a company. And uh, but the deal got done, and here we are today now, and I'm actually you know, working on exiting out of the company right now as we speak. Uh, because I'm all about vision, belief, and again, I'm about, I'm about my vision, and no one should take that away from you, what you've seen is you believe. And I mean, I know that the company's going to go in a different direction, most likely doing an online stuff, but I'm going to be building a new brand called TG Athletics, and I'm really excited about that because that's the next chapter in, in the life, and hopefully this will be the legacy too, by the way. <laughs> And I do want to talk about that next chapter, but before that, I have one other question and it's a quote from you. I believe it was actually from Deepak's podcast. I can't quite remember where I got this, but it says, everyone looks at the glory of Greco, but I can tell you stories that'll make you cry and not want to go into business. So what are some of those things that you had to push through when growing Greco in the first place? Similar to how back with boxing, when you got kicked in the face, you had to get back up and keep going. What are some of those things in a business perspective that kicked you in the face, but you still got up and kept going? Yeah. Well, you know what? That's actually, you couldn't pick a better time because I mean with COVID I know that a lot of the small businesses are hurting and it's been a, a complete nightmare and I mean we will get out of this strong but I think people that survive during COVID will definitely succeed and I remember in Barhaven um, because there was so many martial arts studios like they were at every corner and it was like you name it and I always said look competition is great I love competition because it exposes more people to what you're doing and if you have a great value and a great product and you deliver it, people will come to you. So I remember that uh, we went through a time where we were three months behind in our rent. Uh, my business partner had to sell his Harley Davidson a motorcycle because uh, that was a time where we had to throw in the towel. It was either we throw in the towel or we make it one more go out of it. And you know what? Even to this day, if we never did that, we'd never be here today. I sold my car. Um, we were, like I said, we were behind in the rent. Uh, we had put a down payment on our home. 
Uh, we have to extend that. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. It was so crazy. Uh, we owed people money uh, and we just didn't have the money and we slowly paid like distributors and I mean, everything you could possibly think of that was thrown at us was thrown at us. We were uh, sued uh, for different liabilities. Um, you name it. It was just, it was, it was crazy. And it's like, you know what? But again, that's why I can't stress enough to share with people is that, you know, if you believe and, you know, nothing is going to stop you, you get back up, you get back up, it's going to happen, you know? And just like coming out of this whole, uh, you know, COVID, I mean, I know that's been, it's been pretty bad and a, but we're going to come out of this because, you know, with night there's day, right? And I mean, I know that everybody says there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There is, and you got to believe it and keep going through and you'll see it. And I think we're going to see it sooner than later. So, um, yeah, so many of those, uh, stories and yeah, it'll make you cry. I mean, like you, you can't even imagine I could, I can keep going on and on and on, but, uh, there's a few of them. Big one was we had to sell the car. He had to sell the Harley. And that was his, I mean, that was his like pride and joy. Like this guy was like, you know, I mean, he loved Harley Davidson. And the other story was this, um, is that uh, in the early uh, 1998, uh, 2000, and 2000 um, you know, a lot of people that worked on marketing, I remember at the time after in 1995 when I won my gold medal, I went to Florida and I was asked to do some stuff with Tony Little, remember the guy with the ponytail and doing all these infomercials. Uh, he was one of the kings of infomercials. So I was um, in St. Uh, Peterburg, Florida, and he was going to use me as kind of like his guy from Canada, you know, doing this stuff on machines and selling this product. And I remember I came back here and I did this videotape called Karate Size, the Tony Grecoway. I met a marketer and he's like, you know what? This is not going to work. You're not going to make money. I said, well, I don't care. I just want to get the product out there. I got into Blockbusters. We sold 2,200 uh, cassette tapes. Plus, it resulted into opening up the first Greco Lean and Fit, which was right next to Barhaven, our next our martial arts studio. If I didn't take that opportunity, I would never be here today because that idea would have never taken off. So ideas are really good, but you got to follow through with it. And that was a perfect one. So if you have a good idea, you got to get through because the best ideas are kept in the graveyard, you know, and you have to follow through with your idea if you really believe in it. Why didn't you throw in the towel when you were three months behind rent? You guys are selling cars, Harleys. Why, why don't you throw in the towel at that point? Well, one thing is that's all I knew. I mean, and that's all I believed in it. And I was like, what am I going to go back to? Like, this is what I know. This is what I know best. This is what I could deliver the best. Um, and it's not the people. It's the fact that, you know what, there's a transition here where there was a lot of martial arts uh, studios. It was competitive. But look. You know, you stuck with it and, and sticking to something again that you truly love and have the passion for, uh, everybody's going to come back to it because you know what? Even some of my old members, they left and they went elsewhere, but guess what? They were all back because, you know, you know, you have something good and you could deliver it. People feel that vibration. They feel the energy and that's what people want to be around. It's like a recycled energy. So if you go to someplace that even might look better than yours, but the energy is not there, you don't want to be part of it. So it's all the energy that you bring out. Everybody wants to be around positive, high energetic people. I mean, you know, everybody has bad days, but you can't take that to your business. That's not what people want to see. You know, you got to be able to switch it and, and that's managing your states. And that's my three things is visualize, uh, believe in what you're, what you're seeing in your mind 
and then managing your state that if it is a good day or bad day to you, it's always got to be a good day because that's you're you're the leader of the pack. And if, if you're not that leader, the view will never change. And you're you're paying the view because people are at your establishment and that's what they want to see. They don't want to hear that you've had a bad day. That's why they're there. <laughs> they want to have a better day. And so you had the vision for Greco even back then. And today you're still, you said you're a big guy, a big vision guy. So talking about your vision for TG Athletics, what's that look like? What are you building towards right now? Well, TG Athletics is really, truly bringing out the athlete out of everybody. Because I think everybody's got the athlete in them. Because the way we function, uh, you know, whether you're a pro athlete, a pro athlete has to go there and perform. Well, a parent has to go out there and perform as well. They have kids to deal with. They have stress to deal with. They have bills to pay. They have all sorts of stuff. And there's movement patterns that are created every day. You get out of your car. You go home. You sit behind a desk. I mean, you go up. You move down. You sit. You, and it's the function of movement patterns. And what happens is, and I know this, that throughout my whole career, you know, we didn't trees in the woods. Uh, you know, and, if, and what I mean by that is that if you take that movement pattern and you make it better, so you absorb more force than, and you can withstand force. So if you do that, then you can generate a lot more power. So what do I mean by that is that a lot of people that do a lot of circuits and stuff, and this is not to take a jab at trainers or clients or anything like that, but there's just no measurement. And I was one of those guys. So I'm just as guilty, meaning that, you know, we hope the best for the, for the client, but really we're just throwing exercises together. But if we take the time, and really work a concept that could distribute and give best, um, you know, ultimate force of power and generate that so the client feels stronger and faster. You don't have to be an NHL athlete or a professional soccer player or basketball player. You just have to be someone that wants to function better, get stronger, faster, and be really quick at what is, what is that you do. And most important is eliminate injuries. So what I did is I started to follow Carl Dietz. Uh, who, again, and, and Ben Peterson, who made a lot of sense of this because I was working with a guy like Claude Giroux, who's a top player in the NHL, and he was sharing a lot of the philosophies behind the training, the measurements and the tests that they've done. And they spend like tens of thousands of dollars testing people on force plates and all different uh, ways to see how come these athletes were not getting injured as fast, were producing more force of power, we're getting quicker. We're getting faster. I'm like, this is amazing. It makes total sense. So when you train three different tempos in a block, you're really doing the best for your body because you have the first phase where you do the eccentric movement, where you're really like taking the time to do the technique slow. And when you're doing it slow, what you're doing, it sounds gross, but you're ripping the myosin head of that muscle. You're rebuilding muscle tissue. It's like you're making that tissue more thicker, more resistance to force. And then when you do that for two weeks, everything from your brain, your organisms in your body go, wow, I'm, I'm holding on to this force. So then the second week is where you do the isometric, but because those tissues and those um, cables are so much stronger and thicker, they can resist more. So because they could resist more, when you go back to the concentric phase, then you can push more. But see, people never experience that. I was one of those guys. I never took the time to go slow, 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 slow. I was always, I played football. High school, I would go in there, do a few bicep curls, a few uh, shoulder presses, some squats. I didn't know, I didn't, and I felt the pump. And it's like, I guess this is cool. This is, this is the look. But I never, like, what was I measuring? Blood flow in my muscles and getting a pump? 
because that's really what was happening. So now with, with this concept, you could apply to any fitness regime. It doesn't have to be mine. It's like, boom. Now, I know what people are thinking right now. They're like, yeah, that are listening. They're probably going, yeah, I do that eccentric movement. Yeah, you only do one movement. Like you have to spend the time because your brain has to adapt to this. And when it adapts to it, your stress uh, you know, receptors even adjust because it is a stressful movement. If I tell you to hold 80% of your one rep max in a squat and I say, Jacob, go down slow, your brain's going to go, oh my gosh, oh my God. And you got to tell it, I got it, I got it, I got it. So it's that whole adaptation of what's happening during the course of that movement pattern that is so key. And so then with TG Athletics, is that going to be, are you going to be opening up new studios? Are you going online? Is it just going to be one-on-one? Like, what's that going to look like? Well, it's going to take a lot of the, the, the concept and, uh, and put them in the circuits uh, style because group training is really, co- uh, you know, comfortable and people like that. And I think it's fantastic. And with our team here, you know, we can uplift that and step it up a notch and throw in a lot of that concept. And that's what's going to be really cool about it is that it's going to be a different concept in a group atmosphere with group classes, but you're going to get so much more out of it because now you're spending that simple time for that specific block training that people are going to see the difference in strength and speed and power. And that's what's really cool about it. You know, like I have 50, 50 plus um, clients that are able to stop on a dime. And a lot of these clients have had trainers before. And it's like, well, why? Why can you do that now? Well, that's because you spent, you know, a good two weeks really building a foundation where you now could resist that force. Now, because you're more comfortable and you could stop on a dime, well, then you could push off on a dime. But if you go to stop on a dime and you lose your balance, chances are you're not going to be able to push off that dime because you're, you're just not trying to stabilize. So on social media, just to show people that, hey, look at this person here. I mean, you're talking like incredible amount of strength and energy to be able to fulfill that movement pattern. And everything is about how we're moving. So when you target these kind of training methods and concepts to people that are moving on a regular basis, especially that have desk jobs, I mean, coming in two, three times a week, they're going to see a huge amount of difference in their in their whole life as far as fitness goes, not just physically, but mentally, because they're going to be able to move so much quicker and have better balance and have more strength and have more energy. And that's really what it's all about. It's not about, and that's bringing the athlete out of them as well. So personal training, group training, athletic training, and a lot of group training would be definitely the model, you know, but at a a whole new different level, more on an athletic perspective. And that's, that's why we went with TG Athletics, because you really are truly training and bringing up the athlete out of you. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned social media there briefly. Talk to me for a second about your TikTok. I know it's really starting to gain some traction. I think you've been doing it for the last month. I can't. I saw this. Someone. I saw the stats posted the other day for your first month. I think you're probably close to a million views or something like that. Month one. Like, talk to me how that's going. Yeah, I mean, well, thanks to uh, Deepak and uh, and Jamie. Like, I didn't even know anything about TikTok, but they saw that I had great um, tips for kids. And you know, I'm so blessed on like some of these kids like every day they're sending me messages that I can't even keep up and that's why I had to get a team because they truly I figure everybody that engages really truly either has a lot of time on their hands or really wants to know the answer and I know these kids definitely probably have a little bit of both because some of them are 14 15 16 but I know they're truly engaged in their sports because the comments that they're that they're adding are really truly 
comments that most kids would ask that age. You know, how do I get faster? How do I get quicker? How do I get stronger? So I, I just threw out a lot of these basic tips and it's been catching on because I think a lot of them have been implementing them in their training and they just feel better. And then Jamie and Deepak steering the whole thing now, we've created a Zoom uh, call link. Uh, so December 20th, I'm going to be trying to answer every single one of their questions and really trying to uplift them to you know, take their game to the next level. So um, it's been a lot of fun because it's what I do. I work a lot with a lot of hockey players. Uh, it comes natural to me. I love the sport now. I just went from hockey to football. I love playing it myself. Um, and I feel that hockey players, uh, out of most of the athletes, have a really good discipline as well. So it's a lot of fun to work with them and really seeing them excel to, to the next level. Like my client, Jack Quinn, you know, being drafted uh, first round, eighth overall pick now with Team Canada. You know, that's very rewarding uh, to guys like me because here's a guy that was projected to go third round. You know, it took two years to train properly, mind, building the body, strengthening the mind. And then, you know, his craft says it all on the ice. So he's just one of them. We also have Brant Clark, who's supposed to go top pick in the NHL uh, next year's draft. So it's rewarding to, to be around this culture of, of, you know, this great team of people. And it's, it's, it's really neat to share that with other young people that are chasing the dream. So, yeah, the TikTok's been a lot of fun. And, uh, I mean, it's just, it's great because I see these kids. It really does mean a lot to them and, and it's rewarding for me to give back to them. Mm. And with TikTok, I mean, traditionally it's skewed younger for a long time. You get a lot of younger kids on there, but you're training these elite level athletes with the Jack Quinn, Graham Clark, Claude Giroux. And so how does it differ then in terms of training for an elite level athlete versus a younger kid that's 11, 12 years old? Because you find nowadays kids are getting pushed so hard at such young age because all their parents want them to be that next guy in the NHL. So how does training differ for guys of different abilities and skill sets yeah so that like um i mean most kids now is competitive like i have 13 and 14 year olds i have a 14 year old who you know is projected to be top pick in the ohl next year this guy henry muse uh doing really well so what happens is if you start the foundation at that age properly and what i mean by that is i just give you an example like i see a lot of these kids they you know they go and train in groups and that's okay but what happens is, is that you have a lot of these kids that, for instance, want to get faster. And all of a sudden, you know, these trainers and they go into a group style and they're training for over, you know, 30 seconds or a minute. Well, you've just trained that client to be slower because, you know, your top speed on the ice is like a fraction of a, of a, of a second to one second. So what, what you want to do is you want to make sure that they only train 10 seconds, you know, and then getting the full recovery. This is stuff that knowledge to these kids is so much power because these kids obviously want to work out but it's what they're doing in the workout you know and like i never let my kids when i'm measuring speed i never let them go more than 10 seconds as soon as i see them start slowing down i stop even if they feel that they're going as fast i blow the whistle at 10 seconds because i want them to have maximum output for that 10 seconds uh when i'm doing a lot when i'm trying to create a lot of power i got my kids jumping because your vertical jump distinguishes your leg power. So the, the game is a single leg sport. How fast can you transition that leg power into speed and velocity? So what I do is I train those adaptations. Um, you know, the, the, the kids are ingraining with their big toe. Why? Because if you're ingraining with your big toe, now you have proper, you know, firing patterns because now your glutes, your, your hamstrings, and your QL is activated properly. So little things like that is positioning, 
mobility, uh, and then introducing the weights to kids. But again, 80% of their one rep max. Because you're like, oh, well, isn't weights bad for kids? Well, no, I, I know kids that run up the stairs with their baby sister that are 12 and their baby sister's like 30 pounds and they're only two years old. That's a weight-bearing exercise. They're running up the stairs with their sister. So it's the way you actually move and the proper weights that you're doing. Now, I wouldn't have you know, my 13-year-old student do 500 pounds on a squat, obviously, but if we measure that one rep max and we help them out, that's why you're supposed to build the strength. People are like, well, you're, you're helping them lift it. Yes, exactly, because it is heavy, and we're supposed to help them lift it. <laughs> you know, that's why, he, that's why we're doing a big, heavy max load, because that's what the body's required, is you're pushing that body be more than it's normally supposed to be pushed. But don't forget, you're playing at an elite level here. You're not just a regular person here. You're an athlete soon to be, you know, a pro and a semi-pro, I mean, a semi-pro than a pro. So you have to take a little bit different. And, and it's all the way the knowledge and the training is delivered to these kids, which I think is so important. I know one of your mottos is know who you are and what you want. So I'm curious, what does Tony Greco want today? Well, Tony Greco wants uh, to share the fitness and the lifestyle that someday people can look back and say, you know what? That was the difference in my life. You know, I thought I was going to do this, but I went into fitness. It wasn't only physically uh, better for me, it was mentally. And if I could do that and change, you know, several people's lives, then the legacy will go on because I'm a true believer that fitness is the new medicine for people. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's what Tony would want to go on is know who you are and what you want. But I could tell you, it starts by taking your first step into the world of uh, health and fitness. I love that. I know we're running out of time here. I'm just going to jump to the last question that I ask every single one of my guests. And so this question, I kind of like to flip the script a little bit. So it's not me asking the question. It's you asking the question, but it's not to me. So pretend you have a crystal ball. You can ask this crystal ball any question and you will get the 100% honest answer. What is one question you'd want to know the answer to? Hmm. Good one. Well, the one, the one question I would uh, think that I'd really want to know the answer is, you know, what would be your expiration date? And, and the reason for that is because I've accepted and acknowledged that there is an expiration date. And one thing I can't do is buy time. But if I, under, if I knew the answer to the question, then I could really schedule and be realistic about what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. And that would probably be the... Uh, that would be the answer to my question. What is my expiration date? I love it. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. There's so much more we could have talked about. We'll have to have you on for a second when you talk about mindset and everything else you got yes, going on. Yes, I'd love to be back on for sure. I appreciate that. But I want to give you the floor. Where can the people find you, plug anything and everything you got right now? Yeah, so they can go to tgathletics.com uh, for the website. And they could also go to TG Athletics on Instagram. And they could go to... Um, TG Athletics on TikTok. So that's pretty it. Pretty simple. Yeah. TGAthletics.com. 
Awesome. Make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below so that they can find you. I want to thank you once again for taking time to be on the podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. Whether you've listened the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces, I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. Everyone do me a big favor. Go and follow Tony. Go and follow TG Athletics. Like I said, everything will be linked in the show notes down below. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. If you'd like to follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and at my social life podcast or YouTube by searching on my social life. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.